0: This is the You Need to Know podcast, putting the spotlight on black businesses you need to know that are serving our community. Now, here's your host, Tommy B. Hey, welcome to the You Need to Know podcast. I'm Tommy B. And this is the podcast. We talk to business leaders, innovators, community leaders, opinion leaders. And I've I've been doing a series with people from the music business. And uh, by the way, you can catch our, our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn. And all you need to do is actually search You Need to Know. Also, you can go to our website, castropolis.net. That's C-A-S-T-R-O-P-O-L is.net, and you'll find all the episodes right there for you to check out. And also, really soon, we're going to be streaming from the website as well. So I'm pleased to have uh, attorney Heather Beverly. She is from Minneapolis, uh, originally, uh, Minneapolis native. And oddly enough, folks, before I really get into it, uh, her her maiden name was Nelson (laughs) from (laughs) Minneapolis. And we've already had the conversation offline. So, No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. But but she is, uh, you know, just a, a, a heck of a resource and an attorney in the music business. Excellent contacts, excellent uh, history in the music business. Uh, she is married to Anthony Beverly, who is the drummer, producer and son of R&B legend, of course, Frankie Beverly. And they have formed uh, a great company, Brantera Music Group. Am I saying that correct? Attorney Beverly.
1: Yes, Brantara. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: and it's a full-service entertainment production consulting company, and Mrs. Beverly is CEO and general counsel. Uh, they have a debut now. This is still your debut project, correct? Silky Soul Music, or have you got a couple yeah, more? Yeah, the
1: company was really no, the company was really formed for the purpose of that tribute project to mm-hmm. my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see if it develops into some other projects down the line. But that was the main purpose we originally formed the company.
0: And it's got just an amazing. Well, besides the fact that it's already got legendary music, it's got some legendary <laughs> artists performing the music like Mary J. Blige, uh, Joe, music soul child, Kim and, and the Clark sisters. Ugh! I mean, that's yeah. just um, some amazing stuff for an amazing man. Uh, you know, the soundtrack of, of uh, I call Frankie Beverly and Mays like the Grateful Dead of the black community. Cause you know. Yeah, we do too. True. How much do y'all tour? So true.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How much? How much is Frankie on the road? It's like. Every... Oh,
1: still. Yeah. yeah, he was on. He, he had shows last weekend. I think he's got shows in another couple of weeks. I mean, wow. it, it doesn't end.
0: And it's amazing. And your credentials, I mean, you've worked uh, with the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, Secretary Board of Governors, that, that's the Grammy Association, uh, Chicago Bar, mm-hmm. American Bar, uh, Black Entertainment and Sports Lawyers Association, uh, General Counsel, National Association of Black Female Executives in Music and Entertainment, and uh, you the Founding member of uh, Black Women, one of the founding members of Black Women in Entertainment Law. I don't know how I got you on. I mean, I'm so <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> I'm just humbled to have Attorney Beverly. Well, well, thank you, you so much for one being of on. my
2: client. Yes, ben, I, I think so.
0: That. <laughs> <laughs> Interview a client. That's the way you do it. But uh, uh, right. Attorney Beverly, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. No, oh, uh, it's my
1: pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Yeah, I want to get right into the. Uh, the meat of this—I mean, how'd you get into entertainment law? Uh, so many other different types of law, and and we all know how the entertainment business can be at times. What what prompted you to get into entertainment law?
1: Well, you know, it was kind of a an interesting route. I mean, it wasn't really intentional um, on the onset, but you know, I also believe that you know our plans are not our own. So uh, you know, God's plan sort of gets revealed along the way, but. I, um, when I was an undergrad, my major was marketing and I had a minor in communication at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, as I was getting into the business curriculum, which I loved, I loved, you know, the fact that I, you know, was in the business school and and all of that was interesting to me. But as I was getting kind of towards the end of my educational undergraduate career, I just kind of realized, shoot, I think I want something postgraduate. I think I want some extra Um, armor, if you will, before I go out into this real world and start a career. Mm -hmm. And so when I was thinking about what type of postgraduate degree I would get, I, you know, was kind of trying to be strategic about being competitive in the marketplace. And, Mm -hmm. you know, MBA is usually a a natural next, you know, um, order of things for people in B B school. But I really was looking at eventually being entrepreneurial. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, I majored in marketing because I was interested in advertising and always thought I saw myself one day having an, at my own advertising agency and being in New York, on Park Avenue, and <laughs> yeah. all of that were sort of my visions at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so because I knew I wanted to be kind of my own business person, I thought law school would be a, a great um, next step,
2: mm-hmm. really
1: not intending to practice law, but just feeling like, you know people have to look at a thousand resumes of B school grads,
2: Absolutely, you know,
1: what can differentiate and what could maybe give me an extra skill set even beyond working for people. Mm-hmm. And so I chose to go to law school. And um, while in law school, you know, I had to ask, you have to ask yourself the question, right? Well, if this is my major, or if this is what I'm doing, you know, what would I do within that? And so when I started law school, I was just kind of you know, started really to enjoy the curriculum. I was so excited that there was no math.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> after, go. <laughs> after
1: statistics and accounting and finance,
0: <laughs> don't get me started on math, please. Oh, <laughs> I have mean, no let, idea. Like, let me tell you, I had I, I had a that, uh, really. well, let me tell you, I had a um, a STEM uh, a person who's written a book on STEM on on the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, you you can imagine my my conversation with her regarding mm-hmm. math, you know, she's the, she's the scientist and, and I'm, you know, I was very, yeah. very careful in how I crafted my questions, but yeah, I'm with you on oh, that. I'm with I,
1: you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been able to craft questions, like you got me <laughs> I stay in my lane, I'm very clear. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I was really enjoying law school and just started thinking, well, so what kind of law would I practice? And, you know, being from Minnesota, a lot of us are sports fans, we die hard, and I'm, Diehard football fan. I love boxing. and basketball. I was I played competitive tennis all growing up. And I thought, wow. well, maybe there's a way I could combine law and sports, and maybe you know, and my marketing to not let that go to waste, and maybe do you know endorsement deals and things like that for athletes. And mm-hmm. so that was my initial thought. And long story short, while in law school, I, I needed to uh, find employment <laughs> early on because mm-hmm. the expenses were something unlike I had ever imagined or experienced mm-hmm. in undergrad where I was kind of full scholarship and such. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, um I ended up working for some attorneys that did entertainment law in their practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um immediately was like this is it. Right? right. I mean right. I I uh enjoyed not only the subject matter, you know, hey, I mean I'll admit it, this is a fun area of law to practice. Yeah. There's cool things to go to, there's fun events, there's, you know, even with our organizations like the Black Entertainment Sports Lawyers Association. Hmm. Our annual conferences are on islands or offshore somewhere. So not in like the, you know, days in and, you know, Idaho. No disrespect. Yeah, you have to look at your client. Look at your client base. Yeah, and look (laughs) at
0: the clients. Amazing. Good stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I you know, I just was like, this is gonna be it. It's gonna be um, entertainment law. And so it was, you know, I kind of crafted the things that I studied in law school towards that end, taking, you know, contract courses and things like that. And, um, you know, and the rest of that is sort of history in that I, while working for the entertainment law firm, I learned a lot and got access to, you know, up and coming artists and so forth in Chicago and mm. other people that we served and um, started marketing myself once I was out of school to um enter the business and kind of was a little strategic about that too but i you know i don't want to talk your head off
0: no that's good so- cool. this is good stuff <laughs> i mean really i mean because you know here's the thing we when everything that you've mentioned leads me up to the next question i mean who should hire like an entertainment attorney and when because you mentioned up-and-coming mm-hmm. artists um can you mention a couple of artists you you've you've been uh, you've represented um Okay, a sure. Of well, my,
1: my, yeah, my my practice is, is quite diverse. It's really been built on a model of representing a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's anything from management companies, production companies, um, independent labels and the like. I mean, one of the largest um, companies I represent right now is Music World Entertainment, mm-hmm. which is run by Matthew Knowles. Yeah. Um, Folks, you know, know him from yep. <laughs> <and> I'm, I'm <laughs> Beyonce's <laughs> father. Um, but, yeah. you know, with that as an example, you know, having companies that are, you know, I mean, he manages, still manages the Destiny's Child brand and everything related to it. He's got a record label and publishing company and management company with mm. a lot of assets under management there. And um, as well as, you know, he's writing books and doing lectures and online universities and such. But um, so, you know, that's one of my clients on the, like, corporate side, if you will. I also um, represent a few estates, um, one being the estate of Thomas A. Dorsey, who is considered the father of gospel music and has, you know, was the author of songs like Precious Lord that people think was written, you know, far long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then on the individual side, I have a lot of producers and writers, um, and artists. Um, some of my producers, kid named Major, formerly B Major, He's mm-hmm. you know produced with for the likes of Justin Bieber mm-hmm. uh, down the line. Yeah. Um, I work with an independent publishing company called R8D, um, and they have signed a group. Uh, production group called the Monsters and Strangers. They have the number one pop song in the world right now. Wow. Um, that song, yep. uh, the middle, which people hear on all those target ads all the time. Oh um, and, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, like I said, some other writers, producers, artists, a lot of clients of mine are in the gospel music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, some legendary, you know, like, you know, Donald Lawrence and uh, I'm working with Kurt Carr and I, probably can't name all of them, but Charles Jenkins, who is both a label and an artist, and it it goes on and on. Because if I start naming them, people are going to go, you didn't name me, and then it's
0: a whole problem. I know. I understand. (laughs) So so let me ask you, do you think people underestimate publishing? I I think the general public underestimates the power of publishing and and owning rights to songs. Do you think they do?
1: Um, Here's the thing. I think that, I think absolutely, if it's not underestimated, it's misunderstood, hmm. okay. right? So I feel like a lot of people in the industry know the buzzwords: keep your publishing, own your publishing. Publishing is where the money's at. Um, and the problem with that is I don't think people really understand why or how. Hmm. And I love that you even asked that question. Of one of my colleagues and best friends in the world. We're in the process of actually writing uh, a series of books, but our first is going to be on music publishing and really the basics, right? Mm -hmm. Keeping it simple because I just find so often that people don't understand that publishing is real estate. It's, you know, if you are a writer, you're a real estate developer. Mm -hmm. And we all know how we envision, you know, the type of not just wealth, but power and, and just the, the, significance right of mm-hmm. those who develop real estate um and what people also don't realize is that songwriting becomes a part of your legacy i mean it's not too many jobs people can have where after they're gone for 70 years more they're still income coming from their job the job they had and that income is there for the benefit of whomever they will it to or their you know or their heirs yeah and so it's I think, again, I think it's probably not necessarily underestimated. It is definitely misunderstood, and it surprises me how many people enter this industry not knowing where they make the money, Mm -hmm. how they make the money, yet they wouldn't take a job at McDonald's without knowing, hey, my check's coming every two weeks on Friday. Mm -hmm. I'm having this much is coming out for taxes and withholdings. I mean, it's just insane to me. You you wouldn't take a job at McDonald's and not know how much you're going to make an hour. Let alone, you know, any other jobs. So to come into this industry and not know how you're making your money or where, um, it blows my mind. But I try to make sure it's something that my clients aren't left in the dark about.
0: So, needless to say, William Smokey Robinson, uh, Stevie Wonder and Burt Bacharach own a lot of real estate.
1: <laughs> yeah. And my father-in-law, Frankie Beverly. And, owns oh yeah, oh, absolutely. His publishing. <laughs> absolutely. Even, even, uh, Marvin, he says that he'll Mr. tell the story that Marvin Gaye told him, never yeah. sell your publishing.
0: Yeah. Never sell. So. Never sell.
1: So. Yeah. And yes, Mr. Knowles has an expensive publishing catalog, even in country music genres. Mm. And, um, you know, some, in catalog, with some old school artists and you know, does he, does he own Johnny realize. Cash?
0: Does he own the Johnny Cash publishing? He has he has
1: some he has some Johnny Cash records. Yes.
0: Wow, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Let, let's yeah. get into uh, <laughs> uh, that's scary. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, who owns what? Yeah. Uh, let let oh, me ask. But to answer, well, go ahead. Your, your no.
1: previous question was, um, you know, who should get a lawyer and when. Mm-hmm. And you know, really, the short answer to that, because um, I know it could be verbose, <laughs> but the short answer is that really anybody who's coming into the entertainment industry mm-hmm. or is in the entertainment industry thinking they will have or do have business in mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. probably should, at the very least have had some sort of consultation with a a lawyer that specializes in the area. Right. Um, a lot of times folks will go get lawyers, but they're, you know, in different disciplines. I Mm -hmm. mean, if you came to me and asked me about, I don't know, uh, patent law, Mm -hmm. I have no clue. Sure. Right. So I can't advise you in that area. So Mm -hmm. you really want it to be someone that really is familiar with the area of entertainment that you find yourself in.
0: Right. Good deal. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with, um, James M. Tume a few weeks ago
2: mm-hmm. and
0: and he was just saying, uh, this is like no other time in history for artists uh you know, versus um I guess labels uh the leverage is with artists and, and you take a look at what's happening with Spotify uh going public, uh lots of changes talked about uh, with royalties and 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 as, as you talked about publishing. Um, And, you know, even Apple talking about streaming potentially taking over their business model and and downloads. I mean, even though they've denied it downloads, potentially, you know, people are saying eventually downloads are going to go away. Um, And so we're in that digital age. Uh, How much Mm -hmm. deal shopping is still going on when, you know, when I say that, I mean, deal shopping, like shopping uh, labels, shopping for labels and things like that, when really and truly you've got the artist has the power to record and hit send the next day, and it's gone out to the public. How much power mm-hmm. does a label truly still have?
1: Well, you know, label shopping still exists, but it's in different forms. I think it's the best way to describe it. So, you know, first of all, most people do realize that labels don't have the same type of artist development Um, input and involvement anymore. They're really, they really are distribution houses Mm. and marketing firms. Mm. And so what happens is that it's put on the artist to already have a brand developed, already have a sound, already have music done, already have wow. a fan base even, right? I mean, you, you start approaching labels and they want to know how many followers do you have. And wow! they want to hear the serious? music already done. <laughs> Are you, you know, serious? It, it, huh? it's, it's
0: gotten to that point. Well, I mean, I, you you would think that, that uh, it, would all, it would already be to that point because you see so many YouTube stars who mm-hmm. already have the connections, already have uh, the notoriety, and then they eventually get signed or they decide not to be signed. But that's pretty blatant that, you know, they have decided. Yeah.
1: Well, and even even the talent competition shows, mm, right? Yeah. They serve as a vehicle to do this whole prefab artist development. Wow. You, you've been mentored. You've done media training. You've been styled. you You know, you've auditioned week after week after week, and you've developed a fan base across millions of people in hopes that now the deal that you get signed to has a better chance because you're already built in as a brand. And and as we've seen for, what, 10 years of this now, Mm -hmm. even that doesn't always work. No. Right? I mean, you could be the biggest American Idol winner, voice winner, whomever winner, with, you know, tens of millions of people voting for you every every week and sell 20,000 records. So with that in mind there's still a need right there's still a need for a lot of these companies because at the end of the day a lot of artists can get a lot done with technology and get their music done and get their styling done and even build a fan base but quite frankly when you're looking for a national and global audience um and having the muscle and the team behind you mm. to mm. do things like penetrate radio or, um, you know, market you on a larger level and distribute your music, and by the way, handle the back-end business. Okay, Right. okay. Um, which is really the critical function of the labels at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know too many independent artists and I work with a lot, um, but the ch- it becomes very difficult to run your artistic life and then also remember, gosh, I sure hope I have paperwork on that producer that did my record <laughs> and those <laughs> writers whose yeah. songs I sang. Accountability. And I hope I'm paying them properly.
0: <laughs> the accountability exactly. part of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, so hitting send is easy, but, mm-hmm. you know, preventing yourself from getting sued, from using everybody else's material and so forth is a whole nother deal. And that's what you know, these
0: companies are in the business of doing. Okay. What about, we've heard the phrase or or people in the in the music industry are hearing the, the phrase 360 deals. Uh, can, mm-hmm. can you tell us what that is and who wins? Sure. Who absolutely. Should, who should so, win?
1: In a, nutshell, in a nutshell, a 360 deal is going to be a contract that you enter into with a company that is where the company is going to provide you services, whether they're record company, um, production company, or otherwise. You know, and in exchange for the services, you're going to owe them money, a percentage of your income from 360 degrees of where you earn it in entertainment. Mm. So, what happens is that you know the older record models were, hey you know, we're in the business of creating records with you. We're going to pay the bills, we're going to sell the records for you. And then we're going to pay you a royalty from the records that you sell. And we're going to keep the rest of the money from the records we sell. Well, you know, in today's world, a few things are happening. I mean, we all hear about the decline of record sales, even though streaming is picking up and, you know, hopefully will take its place. Um, If not may be an even better cash cow for folks, but right now we're in flux and Mm -hmm. record sales are down Mm -hmm. and record companies have a business model that really, I don't know if it exists in any other business and that is this, there's not a whole lot of places you can go and be given a loan or an advanced some money in hopes that you win. Mm. I mean, if you go tomorrow to bank of America and ask for a small business loan to start your food truck, Business, mm-hmm. They're going to say, great, here's your $100,000. And by the way, on the 1st of May, your first payment is due. And they don't care if you've sold your first gourmet hot dog or not, wow. right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, your loan payment is due. Mm-hmm. Well, in the record business, record companies say, hey, here's this money and here's this budget and here are these resources. And by the way, you only pay us back mm-hmm. out of Winning when you sell records. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you don't, you don't owe us any money. And so with that model, it's a high-risk venture. And when the revenue streams start declining, like record sales, it puts the entire business model at risk. Ah, okay. So what you have is a situation where they had to figure out, how else do we make money? And they, the answer came to them, a la some of these artists who have successful records, who then turn into these mega brands. Mm. Right. I mean, you've got perfume and TV and film. And I mean, look at LL Cool J with all the television stuff he's doing now that, you know, movies,
0: you know, modeling,
1: endorsements, you know, and obviously touring, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is still huge business for the right artists. So who do you think wins? Who do you think wins? They said, we're going to share that.
0: Yeah. Who do you think wins in that? Who wins?
1: Who wins? Yes. I think. Quite frankly, I think everybody wins and I'll tell you why. It probably seems like a silly answer. Hmm. Labels obviously win because now they're going to share and make money with you in all the other areas of entertainment that you earn money. Hmm. Um, So they're going to obviously win and be able to stay in business and profit quite handily should you be extremely successful. The artists, believe it or not, win, and I'll say in a way. Hmm. (laughs) And the way is, is that labels say, look, there's no other way we're going to survive,
2: Mm.
1: right? So if there is no label left for you to have someone pay these bills for you and build this brand for you and do this business for you, um, you know, you lose a significant potential partner. And that's not to say that a label is the best partner for all artists and all of that, you know, disclaiming all that. But Mm -hmm. for the business model that it is, I just, I do think that the way that artists win is that it just,
0: it keeps that business model alive. Gotcha. So it's—I I don't want because it, it may be a little simplistic for me to call it a, a bailout, but it—it mm-hmm. it, uh, it helped main, maintain a partnership that was necessary for a creative. Because you're right. I mean, yeah. You know, it's not always in in a creative's best interest to do the business. Yeah. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I will say this: mm-hmm. some 360 deals are limited in scope where the label is sharing when they help you find the revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And I love that type of a model when it can happen and when they can agree to it because it incentivizes a major company. Think of a Sony that has not only the record business, but the TV and film business and so forth. It actually can incentivize them to make you bigger and give you and bring you opportunities in Mm. other areas of entertainment because they know they're going to share in it. Right. Um, and so in that case, it can really be beneficial.
0: You look her. at somebody like a Janelle Monae, who mm-hmm. is exploding, you know, her her mm-hmm. music is, 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 it's just releasing, but it looks like it's going to be big, but she's already doing movies, she's doing TV. Yeah, that's a, and then you look right. at uh, the Atlanta Project, Donald Glover and, and Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's massive. That, that's, perfect example and I don't want to
1: sound like I'm all label friendly and I just think as a you know as an artist advocate <laughs> sure I mean they can sure. suck really badly right yeah, I mean oh yeah you it can go both ways 25% going huh
0: <laughs> it can go both ways you're absolutely right I mean yeah good, yeah good, yeah good, right. you know
1: 25% goes to your label 20% goes to your manager 5% goes to your lawyer you're like working for 50% of your money
0: <laughs> oh, and yeah. you
1: know it could be disincentivizing you but the question was who wins and how and I just kind of wanted to answer it from that perspective
0: no good point good point uh, you mm-hmm. know what what things uh, should an artist consider when they look at uh, working with people great people like you entertainment attorneys um
1: well number one they have to consider their budget
0: <laughs> <laughs> good answer
1: <laughs> Which, i feel like whenever i see panels or panels and educational workshops you're gonna like oh you know look for someone that knows what they're talking about okay yeah have a budget I mean, realize that <laughs> don't call me that these people, yeah they the services these people provide are yeah. you know for pay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I actually, you know, it's funny, but I really mean it seriously. It's a, it's amazing to me how people will hem and haw over the legal fees, not to say that they're not you know that they're inexpensive, mm-hmm. but yet will have every designer everything mm. on their bodies or have spent you know five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars to go get a feature artist or rapper to be on their song. Wow. You know, or the, you know, so it's just really prioritizing where you're allocating your resources. Mm -hmm. Um, But A, so you'll consider that, but really looking at, again, like I said earlier, finding someone that understands the business in the area that you're in. Okay. Um, And, And that doesn't always mean that they have this big, long list of amazing, huge clients, Mm. right? I mean, there are younger attorneys or newer people in the space who still know the the business, right? Right. So they need to know the business. And I really feel it's so important to find a good personality fit. Mm. And that also, some people, when I say that, they go, huh? Like, what does that matter? It does. Um, having a good relationship with your attorney or your manager or anybody on your team is important because um, it's someone that's going to, you know, hopefully be with you for a while and they're going to be intimately involved and sometimes have a financial stake in your business. Yes. And so having a good rapport with them, being able to talk to them, having someone that understands who you are in the context and what's important to you and not just looking at you as another, you know, another cog in the assembly line right, Mm -hmm. Um, is important. And I, you know, I attribute the type of relationships I have with my clients to the fact that I have had most of them so long. I mean, I've one of my biggest producer clients right now, David Doman, who, you know, he's got Nelly's new single. He had Chris Brown's first single on this last album. Mm -hmm. I started with David Years ago, I won't date either of us, but years ago when he was still, you know, slinging beats for $50 a piece and just was like, can I ask you questions so I can learn the business and to be with someone for that long. I mean, I know his family, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you
0: understand. It can, it
1: can be a good yeah, thing.
0: Yeah. And, and it makes you, it helps you understand when things, in my opinion, when things go wrong, when there are issues, mm-hmm. you, you have a better understanding because you've seen the consistencies. And when things become inconsistent, you know, when yeah. you should intercede. Yeah. I, I, I agree you're, with you. Yeah. You're ahead.
1: so right. And you know what the goals are of the planet. Cause everyone's goals are different. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I can have two deals in front of me, identical deals for two different people, and have completely different results on those deals um, mm-hmm. because of who that individual client is. And mm-hmm. if the, your lawyer doesn't know who you are and what you're trying to achieve in your career, mistakes can happen. Meaning, just you, you may your deal might be approached from the wrong perspective,
0: mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you
1: know, wow. things could get overlooked. Gotcha. For your benefit,
0: you're you're a black woman in this business. Um, I mean, you're seeing black women now. Just doing some amazing things. We mentioned uh, uh, Janelle Monae. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. success coming from SZA. You've got Hollywood. You've got uh, with uh, Ava DuVernay and Lena Waithe. Uh, but somebody mentioned somebody asked me a question a few weeks ago about a black male artist especially black male R&B artists. And you mentioned Chris, uh, you, you represent, I mean, you've worked with the producer who works with Chris Brown mm-hmm. and Nellie. Nellie's more on the hip hop pop side, but, right. but what what do you think's going on? And, and you may not be able, able to answer this as, as a, as an attorney or as an entertainment attorney, but you're an observer. What do you think's going mm-hmm. on with uh black male R&B? Because the, the, the general consensus from some of the folks who have been in the business a while is, black male r and b or male r and b has shifted to the pop or the white the non black artist, like uh you know nothing against those guys, but you know you've mm-hmm. got uh Sam Smith and sam and, Smith and, right mm-hmm. and, 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 some, <laughs> and uh you know some of the other mm-hmm. uh, artists who who will sing r and b music, what do you think's going on with that I mean that you know not it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people are starting to notice yeah
1: well, I think that there is A few factors and, you know, probably a lot of factors as to what's going on. Um, First of all, I just think that as artists, um, I think that a lot of our younger male artists just aren't even being exposed to the history, the context, the music
2: Mm. that
1: preceded them um, to give them the inspiration and to give them um, the skill set. I think a lot of our our youth aren't studying music. They, you know, you've got producers who play no music. You've got, mm. you know, people who haven't studied anything. Yeah. I've had, you know, some of my younger clients who don't know who some of the greats are. Don't know who Otis Redding was. Don't wow. know who, you know, and and just to have a lack of understanding of the history of your own music in whatever areas, right? All genres.
2: Wow. Um,
1: but to call yourself a musician, mm-hmm. I think is a disservice and it does a disservice to the art going forward. Mm. Um, whereas you will find a lot of times in mainstream, you know, Caucasian and other cultures, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're studying music of all kinds. You know, their playlists are very diverse.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and And the influences of their greats right. Mm -hmm. Were our music. So, you know, and so I just feel like they kind of, and they pay homage to it. I mean, people look at, you look at a Justin Timberlake where, you know, who a lot of people, you know, think what they might, he, he pays homage, he gives credit to where his music influences are from. So, you know, a lot of them aren't even trying to pretend they made it up. They're, Hmm. they're really honoring it and, and hold it dear to them and continue it. Um, In addition to that, you know, you're in a culture right now, an urban culture that is, um, it's all about the hype, right? (laughs) About, And Hip hop has more hype. <laughs> yeah, hip hop has so much more hype. I mean, it's yeah. funny. My husband and I joke, and my husband is a music purist. I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, I, like we can't. He'll I'll he'll get in my car and wonder why one, why some urban station is on, and I get in his car and I'm like, and the Frank Sinatra station. Is on. <laughs> like, um, like you're not a hundred. Like what are we doing? But he's a musician. I mean, yeah. he really loves music, yeah. real music. Yeah. But we'll often laugh and say, Gosh, I wonder as inappropriate as a thought might be, I wonder what like my stepdaughters and my stepson are listening to when they're dating. Yeah. Like what I mean, yeah. is it I mean we had so many oh. we had love songs. Yeah. We had ballads. Amazing like, stuff. I'm a baby of the nineties. Like yeah. we had an eighty like we had music and, and I just they don't. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know where are the slow jams. I guess Tank brought some back but I <laughs> you know I don't necessarily want my sixteen year old um being indoctrinated in R and B with some of that, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's <laughs> so What that... do you do?
1: So I just think it's hard. I think it's complicated. I think it's hard, but I think that we also as a as a music community need to pay more homage, and we need to be recognizing and supporting those of our artists who do make that kind of music. Yeah,
0: that's like, good, good stuff. Yeah,
1: the the death of R and B is real, and it yeah. it makes me very sad. Because I've got a it
0: does
1: really huge uh, '90s playlist.
0: Yeah, we all do. We That's all my do. go-to. We all, we, we, <laughs> it, it is, it is real. It is very real and mm-hmm. every, everybody's talking about it. So, so mm-hmm. how can, you know, this is amazing information, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I guess my next question is how can anyone, uh, disclaimer with money, in, uh, interested in obtaining your services <laughs> connect? Love I got to put it out there. I'm just, keeping it, I'm just keeping it real. Just keeping it real. Uh, how can anyone, uh, int- well, you know, those folks interested in obtaining your services connect?
1: Yeah, well, you know, obviously I have to always give out the social media stuff, although I'll, I'll admit, like, you know, I get DM'd legal service inquiries, I'm still oh, getting yeah. used to that because, yeah. you know, it's not the place I'm checking every day, mm-hmm. but on social media, I can be found in two places. One is H Beverly law. Mm-hmm. So H Beverly law at IG at Twitter at Facebook. Um, and then also on um, IG is Heather Beverly ESQ. Um, but my email, which is really a great way to find me. <laughs> my email is Heather at H Beverly Law.com. Awesome. Heather at com.
0: This is uh, just amazing stuff and I'll make sure we put that on the podcast page as well. Uh, so I appreciate so you. I, I appreciate you for taking the time I mean I, I know how it can be and it's uh, you know I, based on just the amount of music that 's being released, I can imagine i mean it's it 's a busy season for a lot of folks because it 's just like uh, when 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 a few <laughs> when a few artists release, everybody else wants to release so yeah, uh, but, yeah. but this is you know we, we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing the knowledge. Um, this is the podcast you need to know we talk to business leaders, innovators, opinion leaders, and we 're doing a series on entertainers and and the music business, and we've just finished talking to uh, attorney Heather Beverly you know know her contact information we'll make sure we post it you can find us on soundcloud apple podcast at you need to know podcast and you can also go to our website castropolis.net that's c-a-s-t-r-o-p-o-l-i-s dot net attorney beverly say hello to your uh to the beverly royalty over there uh (laughs) and uh and the nelson part you know when you run into them
1: (laughs) nelson fam
0: nelson fam as well Attorney Beverly, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, and congratulations on the work you're doing. It's amazing.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to the You Need to Know podcast, putting the spotlight on black businesses you need to know that are serving our community. Subscribe by going to castropolis.net. That's castropolis.net. Also, Search You Need to Know Podcast on SoundCloud. Interested in becoming a spotlight business on the You Need to Know Podcast? Click on the Spotlight My Business link at the podcast page. Thanks for listening.